Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cloud Wars Live, where we explore today's digital revolution by speaking with business executives and thought leaders who are changing how the world lives, works, plays, learns, and dreams. Our guest today is our monthly expert on innovation, Sean Amirati. Sean, who is with Birchmere Venture Capitals, also a professor of business at Carnegie Mellon University. <clears throat> Sean's been a serial entrepreneur and author and also has his own podcast now. Sean, welcome back. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Bob. <clears throat> so, Sean, um, the monthly topic that you come on to share with us is about uh, Amirati on innovation. One of the things that I know caught your eye was uh, from last month's episode, you know, when you were talking about big companies need to understand when to buy, when to build, when to partner. Microsoft drops a billion dollars into uh, open AI. What did you make of that one, Sean? Yeah, and so I think it's easy to think like, well, it's Microsoft, you know, it's just, just a token investment. But, but I would just remind everybody, a billion dollars, no matter how big the company is, is a big investment. And so um, a, a week ago, as of when we're recording this, Microsoft and OpenAI announced this, um, this joint initiative, uh, which they call AGI, and I'll sort of unpack this in a minute. But, you know, most people think of OpenAI, I think overly as just, well, that's the thing Elon Musk gave some money to that's a nonprofit around AI. And, and, and certainly, um, I saw even a number of, of popular, um, you know, business news outlets kind of use Elon Musk as the, the picture around the press release that they did. But it, it's a much bigger thing than that, right? It's this, it's this general artificial intelligence group that I think is um, really pushing how people think about you know the future of, of automation and AI as it starts to to push up the spectrum of what it can what it can accomplish, and you know the CTO of OpenAI, who's also the chairman of the board, when he did his blog post that announced it, you know I thought it was interesting what he chose to focus on. So he said, you know, Microsoft's putting a, a billion dollars into OpenAI to support what we're doing, right? And he kind of goes through that, but then he it's the second part of it that I think is interesting. He says that his second sentence is. We've partnered, or no, sorry, we're partnering to develop a hardware and software platform within Microsoft Azure, which will scale to AGI. We will jointly develop a new Azure AI supercomputing technologies, and Microsoft will become our exclusive. And again, that's not a word that's, that's uh, PR people let in without somebody <laughs> talking about it. All right, so they're going to become the exclusive. So, you know, if you're, if you're Amazon, um, my guess is that sent. Uh, some smoke signals up. They're going to become their exclusive cloud prov provider. So we'll be working hard together to further extend Microsoft Azure's capabilities into large-scale AI systems. And I think this is really interesting on a couple levels, right? So there's, first of all, just what's this going to do from the, the cloud perspective, right? And, um, you know, we had a good conversation last month about this, this build partner buy and the, the strange bedfellows that were Microsoft and Oracle, um, and just how you need to take a customer-centric view of the partnerships that you're doing. Um, but we talked about that there's also this, there's no one-size-fits-all recipe for how to attack these things, right? And so it's very tempting to say, like, well, is the right thing to do for us to have uh, just go out and be partner-only or go out and do everything internal? And I think the, the right answer is an and, not an or, right? And you need to think about how to do it. And so you want to you do multiples of these things. But I think something that we probably didn't hit on as, as heavily as in hindsight we should have, and then Microsoft helpfully came through and gave us this, this news event as a jumping off point here, is corporate venture capital 
as part of this overall technique. So I think when people think about corporate venture capital, they miss the boat a lot on, on the benefits that can be driven inside the organization as it relates to these growth topics. And I actually think, you know, this is the second time that Microsoft's taken a big swing in the CVC space that I'm aware of. And the last time it was Facebook for perspective, right? So many people remember Facebook was in uh, some challenging financial situations and Microsoft came up uh, with an investment that really uh, kept them going. And now here they are again around AI and, and artificial intelligence, which I think is, um, is arguably as big a wave in computing and, and how technology is going to evolve just like social was when Microsoft made the Facebook investment. Yeah, Sean, there's a there's a, a lot to that, right? And I, I think when you you mention some of these points, like the the people missing the boat on what the corporate venture capital is, right? Is that um, do you see this as something that was just sort of a one off, or is there a is there more broadly a blind spot that some companies are confronting with this? And how, if so, how do they get around it? Yeah, so I think I think. I think there's different ways that corporate venture capital programs get set up. But I think, um, first of all, it's worth saying there are a lot of work to set up correctly. Um, I had on, um, just not a commercial, but just as a point of reference, I had on my podcast a week ago, the founder of Touchdown Ventures, uh, which is a group that literally companies jointly hire to do corporate venture capital together. Because for every... Uh, Intel capital out there that you know has a great team of people doing it. There's a lot of teams where they just don't have the full staff they need to do. And I think the one really common failure point is these guys kind of dip their toe in the water, trying to like oh pretend to do it or like they make. Whereas like it needs you need to have infrastructure to actually do this well, know how to structure the deals. I think tech companies in general are better than the average large industrial company at, at doing that. Uh, but but the other part of it is is that you should you should have a solid answer to the question, you know, what's my advantage to doing these investments relative to the other capital sources that entrepreneurs have to work with? To, um, to give credit to somebody that that um, I think a lot of people on your podcast will be familiar with, Salesforce has done a really good job of this. If you actually look at Salesforce Ventures um, portfolio, what you'll see is they've made very smart SMB SaaS investments in places where um, the Salesforce kind of operating system, marketplace, enterprise knowledge make their check more valuable than just the, the, the dollars that they're, they're writing. And at, you know, at Birchmere, we've had them invest in two of our portfolio companies over the last five years. And they've, they've done a really good job being more than just capital. So one, it takes work. Two, there should be a strategy around it. And three, I think it should drive your over-the-horizon growth. Right? This should not just be for making, you know, a small IRR, but it should be for helping you think what's coming down, what's what's in the future. I obviously I don't know this, and and they've never really done anything um, explicitly to to do anything but be helpful to our companies. But I am sure in all that help that Salesforce is providing the two companies that they work with, it's also informing how Salesforce thinks about some of these emerging topics. And I'm sure in the same way, the Microsoft investment in OpenAI, even though at a much larger scale is going to inform how Azure thinks about this next wave of computing, which is this, this sort of automation and, and more general purpose AI that's going to be so critical to enterprise IT over the next handful of years here. Yeah, Sean, that's a great perspective and um, you know, very valuable, as you said there. So I want to come back to this AGI topic. 
Yeah. And you said a minute ago that you were going to unpack it a bit, but let me offer this perspective. So this is from OpenAI's CEO, Sam Altman. So when the Microsoft and OpenAI announced this, here was the quote from CEO Sam Altman. The creation of AGI will be the most important technological development in human history with the potential to shape the trajectory of humanity. Okay, Sean Amorati, venture capitalist. You hear that? What do you think? Well, well so, so one thing I think that's worth saying is that Sam is not somebody you want to bet against. So for people who don't know who that is, more people would be familiar with Sam in the context of the work he's done at Y Combinator, uh, which is, um, I think, you know, you can argue, but I think most everybody would acknowledge that the best run tech accelerator out there, at least in terms of portfolio performance. You know, there are other people I think who do just as good of work, but, but accelerators are a lot like business schools. Those who end up at the top of the rankings get the best students, which helps them stay at the top of the rankings in the business schools and the accelerators that end up at the top of the ranking. Uh, get the best entrepreneurs, which helps them stay at the top of the rankings there. And YC has been at the top of the rankings for a long time. So even if you're not familiar with Y Combinator, you're certainly familiar with their companies, Dropbox, Airbnb. I mean, they've, they have done a great job uh, creating great companies there. So he's not somebody you want to bet, bet against here. But my instinct is that really what he is reflecting on as it relates to open AI, right, is less even the entity OpenAI, which is a complicated entity to get your hands around because it's got this nonprofit element to it. It's got this for-profit element to it. Um, you know, they raised a lot of money from uh, lots of tech uh, kind of luminaries, which is I think the, why you see people referencing back to the Elon Musk so much and the gift that he gave on the front end of it. And now they've got this, this AGI thing that's going to be kind of, kind of for-profit. And you can even see journalists trying to wrap their, their arms around it. But I think Really, to me, the part that my guess is that Sam was driving at as he made that quote, and I don't want to speak for him, but just if I were to, to take a shot at it, my sense is that what he's really driving at is that um, we, have, we, have very, um, we have very significantly, even the people who are the most optimistic, we have very significantly underestimated how transformative it's going to be when we start automating and providing artificial intelligence to tasks that seem unautomatable. You know, it's, it's amazing, uh, given the, where I sit as a VC, to, to meet with these different AI companies that are doing things that, that literally would have seemed too speculative to make a science fiction novel 20 years ago. And now it's not like, oh yeah, maybe that would work. It's like, here, let me show you the prototype of how this works, right? Um, now, uh, some of those are going to be commercializable, you know, in the next couple of years. Some of them are a little further down the road. But if you look out just a little further than, you know, quarter to quarter or even year to year, I think it's it's hard to dispute that we'll be automating more and more of what we do with these AI systems, and that um, the integration of people who are really good at doing artificial intelligence, which the OpenAI team is with someone like Microsoft, who's really good at scaling that computing capacity to lots and lots of organizations. Like I wouldn't want to bet against, you know, the transformation that comes on the, on the back end of that. And I think it continues to be, you know, I don't want to make this Amorati on Microsoft because I feel like we're talking a lot about Microsoft these last couple episodes here, but I think it be, 
it continues to reinforce this shift that that um, the team at Microsoft has done from a business to consumer company to a business to business company where this open AI plus Azure feels more like Intel inside for the AI world than it does, you know, something that that end consumers are are kind of even conscious is happening because people will pick this capability up, integrate it into their solutions, and it will just be magic to the end customer, business, or consumer. Yeah, yeah. Well, Sean, <clears throat> we're gonna move off Microsoft in a second here, but I did want to ask you one other thing about that, right? Because, you know, it's a little bit of a cliche, but leaders lead, and Microsoft, as you've just described here, has gone through a pretty rapid and profound evolution. Then you add in something like their willingness to not only be open to a partnership with Oracle, but to drive that and to get Oracle to come in with them, to look at somebody like OpenAI and says, well, we probably could buy them. We probably could try to get the people in our labs to develop something like this. But they said the better approach is let's take a third way. Let's do a partnership here. Yeah. Let's do an investment here. And, uh, you know, when you think about <clears throat> the point you just made about Intel inside, is this yet another new go-to-market approach that Microsoft is willing to take? Because as we talked about, I think they're doing as well in their go-to-market and their customer engagement approaches as they are on the technology side. It, it's just been that nothing is closed. Everything's open to what's available to them. And I think more and more every technology company and sort of by extension, every company that's now in some other industry, but is moving more into technology, they've got to be thinking as much about their go-to-market plans, customer engagement plans, business models, innovation models, as they are about the technology they're developing. Yeah, and I, and I think, I, I mean, you covered the industry when it, when it happened, when Intel did it, but, but my sense is that the competence that they had around doing partnerships with who were the large tech companies at that point is what allowed Intel to execute the Intel inside strategy so well. And so to me, what, what I think is remarkable, and you, you said it well, leaders lead. I, I mean, Satya has, has led well, and I think led clearly, which is, which is a big part of it. it it's we're going to take a very different approach because the things that got Microsoft to, to where it was when he showed up there, uh, namely, you know, really good, uh, consumer brand and the ability to, to build consumer tech well were not going to be the things that got Microsoft to where it wanted to be, which was namely, you know, a much larger enterprise uh, than, it, you know, in terms of value, in terms of market cap than it was when, when he showed up. And, and you can kind of watch him tick things off, whether it's by LinkedIn or partnerships with Oracle or now a partnership with OpenAI. Uh, the competence in the organization that that he's built. I mean, it's it's been it's been a a case study really in how leaders come in and 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 enable change inside their organization, not try to just create it, but but really enable it. Um, so I'm ex I'm excited to see w what they do from here. I'm excited to see you know how they continue to broaden our definitions of a lot of these things. I mean, I guess a related point on this that that you and I were chatting about a little bit before we started hitting record here, right? Is also, I think they're also reframing for us what is and what is not cloud computing. And you've been on the front of this, Bob. So, I mean, your Cloud Wars rankings have been, I think, doing a nice job articulating this for people. But in the last earnings call, you know, right off the bat, he's like, we are the largest cloud computing company in there. And people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. you know, you don't have as many servers, you know, running, uh, microprocessors in somebody else's cloud and that's the only definition of cloud and it's like well I, I mean 
you know, there's this guy, you might've heard of him. He's, he's a little bit of personality uh, he, named Mark Benioff. He, he built this company. You, you may or may not have heard of it. We've already mentioned him twice in this, this episode called Salesforce. Is that cloud revenue or not? Um, I think his island would, would imply that it is, right? So these guys, are doing, these guys are doing well. And I think Microsoft, you know, he's just, he's, it, it's really amazing. I, re, I remember years ago being at a tech conference with a bunch of Microsoft executives and asking them like, well, why do you work at Microsoft? And not, this, was, this was right in the middle of the Balmer years of running Microsoft. And not one of them could actually give me an, an honest answer for why they were there. My instinct is, you know, fast forward to 2019, if we're in that same W hotel in San Francisco, having, you know, a couple of drinks and, and asking like, hey, why do you work at Microsoft? They'd have a very articulate answer to what that is. And I think it's this kind of reframing the mission and vision of Microsoft for where they want to go, not where they are here. Yeah, Sean, two things about tie that in with um, <clears throat> a point that you were making about cloud and uh, is it only infrastructure? Is it only infrastructure and platform? And grudgingly, Salesforce, uh, or not Salesforce, software as a service is or isn't, right? Um, whatever industry somebody's in today, and you know, if we reflect back on some of the things Salesforce has done, some of the things Microsoft has done, what you're describing in corporate venture capital and the need to look at things differently and in multiple dimensions simultaneously, right, that there are this, this tendency that still have among a lot of business people, somebody brings an idea to you, let's do a billion dollar investment in this company over here that could really change, you know, how things play out for us over the next few years. It's like, no, no, we don't do that. We don't do partnerships or we don't do this. And that was perhaps fine in a more static, slow change environment. But the way things are moving today, I think that the, the, the willingness or the stubbornness of some executives to say that's not what we do. Um, and you know, we've all got to have some limits, but it, for large part, you got to do whatever you need to do to stay relevant and interesting and valuable and compelling to customers, not to try to perpetuate some history that happens to have brought you to this right. point. Right. And, and the key word there is to customers. Yeah. Right. Like to stay relevant and interesting to customers, not to stay relevant and interesting to Wall Street, because it turns out, you know, over longer than you know your next quarter, quarterly earnings estimate. What's interesting to Wall Street is what's interesting to your customers, and not what's interesting to just your employees. Because it turns out that you know technologists and employees are smart, right? They want to work on things that touch lots and lots of people's lives. And so, what's interesting to your customers is what's interesting to, to them. Uh, and now, what's interesting to the senior management team that that's there, that's kind of who got you to where you are. Because again, people, I believe, ultimately, when you unpack it they know that they want to be part of an organization that's winning and that's growing. And the way that you do that is you use customers as your ground truth. Like it, it's interesting because on one hand that feels complicated. On the other hand, like it's super simple. I feel like my nine year old son could understand that, right? Like, Hey, you know, here's what you need to focus on, Michael, build something that people want. And then they will, they will in turn do more of that with you. Like it's, it's not rocket science, but yeah. like, we, we overcomplicate it by trying to, you know, make it this, uh, this, you know, oh man, there's like a science project to it. And it's, it's not, it's not that it's, it's simple. Like you gotta, it's gotta be what's interesting to your customers. Yeah. You build, you know, if, uh, Michael had, uh, ever, you know, put up a lemonade stand right. and he would know if you make lemonade that's warm and mm, 
there's way too much sugar or not enough. It doesn't taste good. It's not going to happen, but you get it really good. Boy, isn't that amazing? People come back. They love it. Right. And Sean, the, the way things are flying today, I think the customer, business customer's view of the cloud is any of these sorts of things. They don't, I mean, at some level, somebody's going to have to know all the details. But the bigger thing that those business executives thinking about with cloud is how can I move faster, get closer to customers, shorten my product development cycle, bring more revenue into the company, bring better people into the company. And this, this idea that some people still in the tech industry have of, you know, this is cloud and that isn't your Mark Benioff example. Uh, anyhow, I, 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 uh, everybody's entitled to his or her own opinion. I hope that one though, however, starts to, uh, to go away because it's, it's not doing anybody any good and it continues to confound things. And I see so many of the, uh, media reports these days saying, you know, well, Microsoft's Azure revenue growth slowed to only 64% and without taking into, I mean, it did slow, that's a fact, but what happens when you get a bigger and bigger business and what is that relative to other things? And I was trying to say, well, is that as big as AWS? And I think on the other front, what some of these companies, all these big tech cloud companies are doing, Sean, is trying to how much of that cloud spectrum can I get into for my company so that I can be more interesting to more relevant to and more valuable to customers, not trying to get into the hyperscaler business, but those other parts, they know they need to cover as much of the landscape as they can to be able to do a better and better and better job for customers. Yeah. And, and I, I gotta be honest, I have not really gone through and come through the earnings, uh, numbers like like you probably have but to me the 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 aggregate revenue number feels like just lazy reporting to me um and you know i love journalists i had a couple years where i was coo of a media company i think journalists do really important work um but sometimes they're humans too and i think that there's there's often an easy story which is like take take the number at you know the top of the income statement see what it was last time and what has revenue gone up or down like all revenue is not created equally right and um you know i think it's a more complicated story and again i haven't done it so i don't know that i don't know where microsoft nets out or doesn't net out here but my instinct is that there are parts of the microsoft revenue number that are much less valuable than than other parts and i don't know what the growth rates are on on different components of it but that's the much more if i were trying to make a you know a rational argument on you know buying or selling microsoft to me like that's the more interesting thing because there is there is different revenue that comes along with different, uh, you know, different multiples that you should apply against it, different value in terms of where your business is heading in the future. And, and, and my sense is that's, that's far more important. And then, as you say, uh, there is just the law, law of large numbers. Like as numbers go up, it gets harder and harder to, to hit the same growth rate uh, that you did before. And that, I mean, even you know, to use math that's much less controversial and that, that most people on this podcast will be familiar with. When you think about an emerging SaaS business, right? So at the stage that, that we invest with them, right? We talk about a race to between one and two million annualized revenue, right? And we want to be doing that much, much faster than, than any of the heuristics after that. So we're measuring that month to month and saying like, hey, are you growing north of 20%, you know, month over month? Or if, or on a compound basis, if a quarter's the right unit, you know, on a quarterly basis, are you compounding 20% month over month? And then once you get between a million and two million, you want to triple it 
you know, the next year, triple it again, and then double it after that, right? Well, the reason it's not triple, triple, triple is because it turns out that like you get north of 10 million and you get north of 20 million and 30 million at some point, like tripling just becomes a much higher hurdle. And, and obviously, Microsoft has a lot more zeros on their aggregate revenue. And I, I have not, to be transparent, gone through and, and you know, comb through their, their earnings statement. But I think certainly the numbers are much, much larger. That's part of it. And also there's a bunch of different business units in that. And some of those business units are really valuable. Some of those are probably more legacy. You know, um, after our conversation last time, Bob, one of the things I kept thinking about constantly for about a week afterwards is like, hey, like should Microsoft get rid of this of Bing? Like, and I don't know if that's a good idea or not. But if I think about like, what are parts of the business that are very much indicative of where they're heading? Versus what are parts of the business that are indicative of of what they where they were before, you know, Bing to me, you know, without the benefit of sitting in the C-suite and understanding all the things that Microsoft's trying to do, Bing to me feels like very much the old Microsoft, not the new Microsoft. Yet if it were spun out as a standalone company, it'd be a great way for someone on Wall Street to buy a pure play uh, search. Uh, entity because there's there aren't a lot of pure play search entities I and mean, if you want to buy google you've also got to buy an autonomous vehicle <laughs> unit and and you know he's doing a good job uh but you got to buy thomas's google cloud part of it and you've got to buy you know google shopping a bunch of there's just a bunch of other stuff you got to buy along with search you know microsoft could conceptually spin out bing have a very you know pure play this is what's happening in search advertising it seems like it stayed you know single digit percentages but but that's single digit percentages of search are a meaningful percentage. You know, it's a, that's a meaningful revenue number and it'd be a way for Wall Street to buy that and, and maybe even furthermore help Microsoft stay focused on the business they're trying to build. I don't know if that's right or not, but it just, to me, it's, it more illustrates this point that there's parts of revenue on the income statement for Microsoft that are really relevant to where they're heading. If I were an analyst or the things I'd, or a journalist or the things I'd really focus on. And there are other parts of it that probably are not. And that's not just Microsoft. That's, any of these large enterprise tech companies today. So, Sean, that, fascinating ideas there. And, <clears throat> you know, we'll have to talk later and get that list of people who are looking to buy Google. That, that'd be a fun list. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, Wall Street. So, like, if Wall Street's, if you're, if you're a, if you're a, uh, you know, if you're on Fidelity for your own yeah. personal 401k and you say, like, hey, I believe search advertising is only going to be a more valuable thing. So I want to basically index search advertising. What's the security that you buy? What's the stock that you buy to bet on that trend? The, the challenge is there's no real stock you can buy that's a pure play uh, you know, yep. on, on that macro trend. If you want to buy social, there's a company called Facebook that's a pretty good proxy for social advertising. There's not the equivalent in search. That's, that was the, the point I tried to. Was sure. No, no, yeah. you, got, you got it, Sean. Hey, <clears throat> last thing before you go, in light of a lot of these sort of big, you know, powerful trends that we've been talking about here, when you meet with, uh, you know, the founders of some of these small companies, high growth companies like that, how do you talk to them about what they need to be, how they need to sort of engage with the outside world or think about the outside world today, right? Because on the one hand, they're so incredibly focused on building a great product and a great company. Yep. But then how do you advise them to link that into all these incredible things going on in the, the big world right now? 
Yeah, so I think it's really important that you do, that you sort of walk and chew gum, that you do both of those at the same time, right? So you don't have a business if you don't have a product that delights your customers, just period. So if you have not yet figured out how to delight your customers, then everything else is noise. Um, and, you know, uh, Mark Andreessen years ago coined a term called product market fit, where he talked about having a product that satisfies uh, a group of customers where that group of customers is large enough that a viable business can be built. And his argument, which I generally agree with, is that basically until you achieve product market fit, there's really not much else that you should be focusing on as an entrepreneur. So, so in concept, I agree with that. On the other hand, I think it's also important, again, this is the walk and chew gum thing, to understand how the things that you're doing fit into a larger, um, a, a larger narrative because the really important question I think for entrepreneurs to ask while they're making sure they're delighting their customers is if this business is successful, how large ultimately could it be? And, and the, how large it ultimately can be is typically how that fits into this sort of, this sort of larger framework or, or thesis. And I think that's where storytelling and things that, that people often don't think of as you know, startup ta talents become really important because you wanna show that like, yes, I'm delighting these hundred customers today, but to steal a Jeffrey Moore, that delight is going to knock over a bunch of other bowling pins. And ultimately that becomes a really big business together. Yeah. And when you're telling the story, you want to do both. You want to say like, look, let me show you how valuable this solution is to the customers that I'm satisfying today, as well as, you know, and that's going to set me up well to be part of this mega trend that's undeniable, you know, AI, autonomous vehicles, whatever the, whatever the narrative is that, that your startup fits into. Well, Sean, thanks. That's a, that's a good perspective. And I, I think about that a lot. <clears throat> so many things at play right now. We talked about this need for leaders to lead and they've got to be able to play the big scale, the big companies, partner, buy, build, sell. How do they engage with some of these other folks? How do they think about doing stuff they've never done before? and avoiding this notion of getting sealed into this place of saying, well, that's just not what we do. Yeah. Uh, it's a challenging time right now. Sean, any final, final words? You know, I think it is challenging, but it's also exciting, right? Like, I mean, this is, the, if you're sitting in one of these boardrooms today, right, you have a chance to really make the future. And so, you know, these guys, they need to, I think Microsoft's a good example of this, but certainly not the other one. These guys need to actually think about like, how am I going to, to make the future so that 10, 20, 30 years from now, uh, when, I'm, when I'm finishing up my professional career, it's like, look, these are the things I did that transformed the world and that I'm proud to have been, been a part of. And there's certainly you know, a bunch of mega trends that are gonna change the world and opportunities for companies to fit into this work. So uh, challenge, but, but you know, with challenge comes great opportunity. And I think uh, these guys have some really exciting opportunities in front of them. Sean, that's great. Uh, perfect, <clears throat> perfect tagline there for Amarati on Innovation is uh, board member, you really have a chance to make the future. That's a good one, Sean. Thanks. Thanks so much, Sean. As always, it's a blast. Great to get your insights. Thank you, Bob. And thanks to all of you for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. Hope to see you next time. Thanks again. <laughs>